Oh, hey there. And hello to you. Oh, this is just a drink holder, so I got tired of bending down for my drink, you know. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm going to get my timer going so I don't talk too long. Well, I think we're good. I'm actually going to start off tonight with a question for you, and this is it. Uh, you ready? Does culture influence you, or do you influence the culture? I just want you to think about that. Now, I don't, have any of you out there spent any significant time in a culture that wasn't your own? Can I raise a hand there? It's good. Well, I actually lived in East Asia for two years, and so uh, I realized how American I was when I moved into the Asian culture. Um, I hadn't really eaten rice without butter or salt on it ever in my life. I thought um, efficiency was really important, and I also had a set of opinions about what I thought fashion should be like. And something really crazy happens once you've lived overseas is the things that you once found hideous all of a sudden kind of start, they start to grow on you and you start to like them. And so we, I would be shopping with my American friends and we'd be out looking at things and we'd have to ask the question like, is this like cute cute or is this like Asia cute? And it wasn't in like a way to demean the culture. It was just because we had been there so long, our grid for what was like American cute had started to like shift a little bit. And so after about a year and a half of being surrounded by this uh, culture very different than my own, one of my good Asian friends came over one day and she had a new hairstyle. And I, I looked at it and I said, I want that. And so... I asked her where she got it, how much it cost. It cost $5, and it was around the corner. And so we decided up and then to go over to the hair salon. And I have some pictures. I'm going to show you what happened while we got here. So here I am at the beginning. This is about 10 years ago. They thinned out my hair, and then they took some pipe cleaners, and they twisted them up in the hair, and then they took some perm solution and poured it on top, and then they put a tiny baby heating blanket. Oh, that's what it looked like there. And then they put a tiny baby heating blanket on it, and it made this glorious thing right here. That's right. That's what we call the permacrimp. It was permanently, like, chemically crimped on just the top, and everything else was straight. And I would walk into a room with my Asian friends, and it was like the glory was among me. They're like, your hair. And I was like, I know, right? And my American friends were like, your hair. And I was like, is awesome. Thank you. So, you know, it's a silly example, but the culture starts to shape you. It starts to influence you. And when it's things like, you know, your hairstyle, it's relatively harmless. But it becomes a little bit more concerning when the culture starts to shape the influence of what you think about the deeper issues or moral values of the world. What happens when the culture begins to shape your thoughts about the existence of God or the meaning of life or the worth of humanity? So when it comes to the big questions of life, why are we here? Who is God? What shapes our view and our thoughts? Well, my guess is if you're like me, without knowing it, you have been highly influenced by the world around you. And I believe that the influence of the world fuels 
our love for the world that leads us away from an eternal God. And so before we get started, I am going to pray. So Father, thank you for this opportunity to meet um, with men and women who want to know you. They want to know more about you. Whether they're here for the first time or they've been here more than they can count. God, I pray that your spirit would speak tonight, that I wouldn't rely on my own power, my own words, my own strength, but would your spirit speak? And God, I pray that you would get a hold of our hearts so you'd open our eyes to see things as they are and that we would look to you. And so God, change us and mold us and help us love you more. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, tonight, um, we're going to look at 1 John. So we've been in a talk series. It's called Knowing God is Life. And so I actually started it back in John 1. This was the first week back on the semester. We talked about how knowing God is life and how awesome it is that we can know God personally. And then the second week, Brad talked about how God is light and how in, them there, in him there's no darkness at all. So we are called to walk in the light as God is in the light and confess our sins and be forgiven. And we took a little break last week. Mookie talked about decision-making. So we're jumping right back in uh, this week, and we're looking at John, 1 John, the letter of John, 2, verses 15 through 17. And so I want to give you a little context. So the book, this is a letter of John written by John, classic, who is a friend and an apostle of Jesus. And he's writing this letter to some churches because they're not, there's a lot of things going on, but one thing they have a question about is, how do we know if we have eternal life? And so he's going to seek to answer that question. And so we're going to read 1 John 2, 15 through 17. It's on the screen. Also, if you ever need a Bible, we have free Bibles somewhere. We'll find them and get them to you. So come uh, and find me afterwards. So 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possessions, it's not from God, not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So remember, John is writing to Christians who are asking the question, how can I know if I have eternal life? And he breaks it down pretty clearly. He says, if you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. And he says, if you do the will of God, you will abide or you will live forever. Now, I'm a big picture person. I don't know if there's any of you big picture, big picture people out there. But when we're talking about things like God and the world and creation and what we're all here for, I need to kind of step back because I think it's really important. When I'm trying to figure out what, what's going on in my own personal story, I want to know how my story fits into the bigger story of what's going on, the meta-narrative, if you will, which is the story, the greater story that's happening always behind the scenes whether you know it or not. And so we're going to take a minute and just step back and think about the world. And we're going to start at the very beginning, Genesis 1, with what may be the most important words in all of the Bible. And they're this, in the beginning, God. That God is an eternal God. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. That from everlasting to everlasting, he has existed. That before anything was made, any particle, any molecule, anything existed, he existed. And he always has, and he always will. And the only reason that anything exists at all is because he made it. The universe, this earth, you and me, are here because an eternal God created us. And he created us with a very specific purpose. 
And that purpose was to know him, to worship him, to obey him, to fill the earth with people who would reflect his glory because we are created in the image of this God. And so we're to reflect his glory to the whole world. But something happened. We were created for this relationship with God, to be his image bearers, to show the world how glorious this eternal creator God is, to fill the earth, to multiply. And he gave us commands. He said, fill the earth, multiply, subdue, rule over it. And he said, one thing I ask, you can have any tree except this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from that tree. And then we see that the first image bearers were deceived and they disobeyed God's commands and they questioned his commands and his intentions and his character. And so let's look at Genesis 3.6. It says, So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and so he ate. And so Eve, she was deceived by a serpent, Satan. She was, she was deceived, but Adam had a command, and he just straight disobeyed God's command. This God that they were created for, they hid from, and shame entered the world, and they hid from God. They started yelling at one another, blaming each other, and that caused separation from God for eternity. They had to leave the garden and, not, and this is when sin, we talk about sin, this is it, it's, it's disobeying God. It's, it's missing what God has called us to do. And the sin not only ruined their relationships with God in one, one another, but it also ruined the very earth. It corrupted the very earth that we live on. It has affected every single one of us. But gratefully, it's not the end of the story. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That God the Father sent his Son, Jesus, to live out the, the true purpose we were created for that we couldn't. And if we believe in him, if we put our faith and our trust in him, we can be restored to this right relationship with God. And we will be restored in our relationships with one another. And we will have eternal life. God has come to rescue us from this broken world. He's come to restore us to what we were created to be. And one day he will return to restore all that has gone wrong. And so the question they're asking is the same que that they're asking John in 1 John is the same question you may have today. How do I know if I have eternal life? How do I know if I have Jesus? Well, one way uh, is to, to just look. Have you asked him to come into your life? How have you acknowledged that he is the savior of the world, confessed your sins and believed in him? And another way is to look at your, the affections of your heart to examine what are you actually living for? If you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. And if you do the will of God, you will abide forever. So let's look at what it means to love the world. Because didn't I just say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? So what are you saying, don't love the world? 
Well, we're not talking about like, you know, the beautiful earth or people. What he's saying is the systems that have been corrupt, these belief systems, these thoughts that have been broken by sin. Don't love those. And so what does the world love? You should actually, you know this answer um, because you live in it every day and you see it. And it's three things that John specifically hits on. One is the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride in possession, which is also referred to, depending on what translations, this may also say the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Now, this is really interesting because if you think about those three things, let's go back to Genesis 3.6. What were the three things that enticed Eve to sin in the first place? It says, she saw the tree was good for food, the desire of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the desire of the eyes, and that it was also desired to make one wise. There was pride that came from that. And so there are, these are the things that the enemy of this world wants us to think are better than what God wants for us. It's a tale as old as time, to quote Mrs. Potts, um, which is a reputable source. <laughs> Fictional also. We love the world. We love the world when we're deceived into thinking that what the world loves is better than what God loves. So we're going to really dig into these things right here. So, depending on what translation you have, like I talked about, the desires of the flesh, it can also be the lust of the flesh. And I hear that word, I use that word a lot, but I don't actually know what it means, so I did a little dictionary.com search, like we all do. And here's a really great definition of how we define lust or desire. It's this, it's in a passionate or overmastering desire or craving. So basically, this means that you are ruled by your desires or cravings. And that you love them more than anything. And that these desires eventually become your master. Or to put it another way, you become a slave to these cravings. And here's what that looks like. Desire of the flesh. This is pretty much what you think. When we talk about the desires of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, it's sensuality. It's that feel good. I just want to feel good. I just want to feel happy. I want pleasure in this moment. And so how do we see that in the world today? How do we see that in our lives? I don't know about you, but I love comfort. I love comfy pants. I love warm blankets. I love couches. And I make a lot of decisions basing on how comfortable I will be in a situation. Can you guys, you guys agree with that? You feel me on that? I love comfort. And so do you know how many times, and you probably wrestled with this maybe even tonight, how many times I have life group on a Sunday, it's an hour and a half. It's all it is. There's a lot of hours in the week. It's just an hour and a half. But once I'm home and I'm in my comfy pants on my couch with my blanket, to have to get up off the couch and out in the cold, I don't want to do that. And so I exchange this comfortable moment that actually keeps me away from being in a place where I could be hearing the word of God and meeting with other believers, but I'd rather just sit and watch Netflix instead. Anyone feel that struggle? Way to be here today, guys. Good job. Way to fight the struggle. Proud of you. Or how about this? Maybe you're feeling, maybe you're just bored or you're feeling a little insignificant and you don't like it. And so why not look at pornographic pictures? Why not read Fifty Shades of Grey? I mean, it seems really harmless and it does make you feel good for a little bit. But then after a while, that, that doesn't quite get the fix and you need more and more and more. 
What happens when that thing that promised you life and pleasure and love actually becomes your master? You're enslaved to it. Uh, recently in my life, there's been a lot of people who, a lot of friends of mine who've had family members who um, are really caught up in drug addictions. And it's crazy because it's just normal people. Like, you know what I mean? Just everyday people who, it starts with a little, a little bit of a drug, a little pleasure. They like the way the high feels. And then they want more. But eventually, that high is not enough, and they need more, and they need harder drugs. And the next thing you know, the drugs own them. And they start stealing from their family members, selling their furniture. Um, I, I know someone, they, they actually broke into their kid's piggy bank, four-year-old girl, and stole $4 for the drug fix. And it's really easy to see the toll that living for pleasure takes in those moments because what they went to to serve them, to give them this high, ended up being the one that they serve now. It's very, very dangerous. Pleasure is not a loving God. And my guess is that there is something in your life that's ruling you. And I don't know what it is, but I know my own heart, so I know the temptation, I know the struggle. There must be some lust of the flesh that's enslaving you. Because we live in a world that says, treat yourself. I have a banner on my wall that says, treat yourself. And I think that may be the most ridiculous thing I've ever put on my wall, potentially. You know what I mean? It's what happens. But pleasure is incredibly seductive, right? We, didn't, we wouldn't do it if it didn't seem f- or feel good, right? We wouldn't be stupid enough to do that, but it feels good. It's seductive, but it's destructive. And so examine your life and look at how do you spend your time? What are you willing to sacrifice for? Is it pleasure? If that's the case, then you may love the world more than you love God, and you need to confess that. Well, let's move on to the lust of the eyes. This is the, I see it and I must have it right now. You will sacrifice anything to get this. Um, Maybe, you know what, you're pretty happy with your body until you go on Instagram and you see all those people who post all those fitness pictures, and then you have to get more fit. And so that actually can eventually lead to eating disorders, over-exercising, self-harm, or maybe you just like clothes. You feel pretty good about your wardrobe, and then you get on Pinterest, and you see a thousand outfits that you could have. And so you end up at Target spending money you don't have on clothes you don't need that will only lead you in debt. Or you see those happy couples on Facebook, and you want that too. You want to be part of a happy couple. And so you will find anyone who will show a little bit of interest in you. And it doesn't matter if they mistreat you or abuse you or just are using you to meet their own selfish agenda. You stay with them because you want people to know you're desirable. You want people to know that you're the kind of person that has a significant other, even though they're no good for you. So, uh, Proverbs 27.20 says, The eyes of man are never satisfied. And they really never are. You can never have enough. Well, what about the boastful pride of life, the pride in possessions? What's this describing? This is boasting in arrogance or in what is evil. It's it's this desire of, I want to be awesome. And so this manifests itself in um, this kind of self-serving nature. Like, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that I look better than everyone else. Maybe it's... um, For me, honestly, how I see this most played out um, is that temptation to want to gossip about people. Like, I love to be in the know, and I know a lot of things. My hair gets big because it's full of secrets, and I want people to know that I know secrets. And so it's really hard to not be like, hey, do you know who's dating? You know what I mean? And it's like, well, that's not really my business to tell. I'm not Facebook making announcements for people. 
You know, and I, it's, I don't need to tell people this, or you start telling people, or this is another thing I can get in trouble where I want to, I kind of feel bad about myself, and so I want to find someone that I can maybe just casually, passive-aggressively put down so that I feel a little bit better. There's a lot of ways we do this, but these are the temptations I have to make much of myself. Well, I don't know if you can relate to any of these or if you're guilty of any of these, but I am, so thanks for listening. Um, it's really tempting to want to love these things more than God, and it happens without even realizing it. Because sometimes we, we would, I think a lot of us would say, yeah, I love God, but you can't tell it by the way that I live my life. Nothing's changed. It's clear we maybe don't love him as much as I thought I did. And so if you're here tonight, I want you to take an honest assessment of where you're at. Do you love God? Well, if you look at these things and you're like, you know what, I identify with a lot of these things. I think I love pleasure and idols and comfort and the things I see more than I love God. And if that's true, first thing is confess your need for him. He's faithful and just and he will forgive you your sin. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and thank him for forgiving you. And ask him to help you do his will. Which leads us to our next point, which is how do we know we have eternal life? How do we know that God's love is actually in us? Well, we start doing the will of the Father. John 6.40 says this, For the will of my Father that is that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. See, God's will for us is to look to Jesus to believe that he is the only hope that we have, that he is our only Lord and Master. And on our own, we are unable to live the lives that God has called us to live. We fall short. We mess up. We choose sin. But that doesn't keep God from loving us. Jesus lived perfectly for us because we couldn't. Jesus came for sinners to make them saints, to make them holy and righteous and blameless. And so, you know what? We don't need to look to the world, to the mainstream culture, to tell us how to think or how to act or what to believe or what's true about us or what's true about life, but we can look to God himself who gave his life for us. The world did not die for us. The world is self-serving. The world wants what it wants, and it will take anyone down, but God gave his life for us. Even when we mocked him and rejected him and spit on him, and crucified him. So how do we know what God's will is? It's to believe in Jesus. But how do we know? Because we live in a world that's telling us a lot of things. And Romans 12, 2 is really helpful for this. Um, it says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and acceptable and perfect will. So how do we do this? We need our minds to be renewed every single day because literally the world is just throwing out all kinds of lies. And actually, I'm gonna get, and we need to hear truth. I'm going to give you some examples of this kind of war that's happening around us, all the messages, all the lies and the things that are coming at us. And so the world would say it is repressive to not express yourself sexually. You need to liberate yourself and be free and do whatever you want. But the word says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, which means to be made more like God, and that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each of you 
Know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. These are very two different statements, aren't they? The question is, which one is true? Which one are we going to believe? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so are we a slave or are we free when we give into the passions of our flesh? I believe a lot that doing whatever I want is actually freedom. That's why I do it. I'm like, I just want to be free to do whatever I want. But then I don't realize that those things that I give myself to just end up taking advantage of me and ruling over my life and destroying me. How about this? <laughs> I think Facebook says complain about everything in your life and have everyone join you. Is that maybe not the slogan, but that's pretty much what happens. It's the worst. Um, but God says give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Or the world says your value is found in how much money you make, in your accomplishments, in your status. But God says your value is found alone by the purchase that I made for you, which was with the blood of my son. And so which voices, whose voices are you going to listen to? Who will be the Lord of your life? Many times doing the will of God means that you're not gratifying a desire that you have, and delayed gratification is the absolute worst. Does anyone in this room um, wait, when it shows like on live TV, do any of you wait a year till it comes on Netflix so you can just watch it back-to-back episodes? Yeah. Why? Because we don't like waiting. Also, Amazon. We now can order something from our phone, and they have a drone that will just bring it to your door in less than two hours because I'm going to need a pineapple slicer as fast as possible. You know what I mean? I have pineapple, and I've got two hours, and I need it. We can't wait for anything. Any desire, any gratification we want, we say it has to be fulfilled right now. But does it? Does it? No, it doesn't. Whew, I can heat it, all right. Um, but guys, when I realize that what God wants for me is better and that he is my loving father, I am more inclined to deny a temporary pleasure for one that is going to pass, or for an eternal pleasure. I'm willing to wait and deny a temporary pleasure for an eternal one. And guys, what's going to keep us from gratifying every pleasure, every desire we have in those moments when the thing that we really want, we really want it. And it kind of feels like I can't do anything but want this. It's, it's taking over my life and my mind. Well, we trust that God has something better for us. We trust that the eternal God sees the whole picture and that he wants us to experience pleasure, but not the unhealthy fleeting, temporary kind. Not the pleasure that leads us away from him into destruction, but the permanent, lasting pleasure that he offers. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And what greater pleasure can we have in life than to be with the source of the one who makes all pleasures? God. We get him, the creator of the universe, all joy, all love. And when I realize how great he is, the more I want to trust him and obey him. And so this year has been, uh, honestly, a huge struggle for me in this area of not just giving in to every desire my flesh has. And I'd love to say that, um, and I try, I try to renew my mind. I try to remember this is temporary, this is fleeting. I need to live for the eternal 
But honestly, there are so many times that I just give in anyway because it's easier and it fills a temporary need. But you know what's really sweet? Is that even in my failure, even when I just straight disobey God, when I blatantly do what he asks me not to do, he doesn't stop loving me. And he doesn't take away my salvation. He reminds me gently that the basis of our relationship has never been how good I am or how much I do good things. It's always been him and his grace and his purchasing me. He reminds me that, if, that I need him and I've always needed him and that his perfect blood cleanses me from all unrighteousness and that he's not going anywhere and that he still loves me the same. When I am faithless, he is faithful. So when it comes to battling temptation, I can get really focused on, like, I just need to get it right. But I think we need to focus less on that and just start focusing more on how do I get to the cross? How do I get to God so that I can know him more and be transformed by him? When I say no to temporary pleasure, by the way, this has been something I've had to reshape my thinking because I just really am like, just don't do it. You know what I mean? It's like, stop it. Okay, well, that's great, but I can't just stop it, so what do I do? And so I've even been trying to think through, why do I, why do I want to give in to this temptation? And what would be the benefit of not? And I think about, it's not like I'm going to lose my salvation. It's not like God's going to stop loving me. But one of the reasons I want to say no is because I know that's how I show how much, God how much I love him. And I want to put a smile on his face that he sees me battle and, and choose him. And he says, thanks for choosing me. Thank you for trusting me and obeying me. And so, guys, I know this battle is really hard. But he gives us the strength that we need to, go through, to get, fight through it. He doesn't leave us alone in this. And so Galatians 5 is awesome. We're going to read through that. There's a lot of text, but we're going we're gonna to breeze right through it. It starts off with this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm going to pause. It doesn't say if you're a perfect Christian, you never have a bad desire, right? But it says if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify, you will not give in to these desires of the flesh. And then he's going to list a bunch of stuff, so take note of all these things. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit against the flesh, they're opposed to each other. They keep us from doing the things we want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Here we go. Now here are the works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He says, I warned you as I warned you before that those, thing, those who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, that moment by moment we're confessing, I need you, I need your presence in me to help me live the life and glorify you and bear your image as you have created me to do. And so the world is going to encourage you to live for your passion, live for your desires. And it is going to seem more natural to just do that. But my friends, we're not natural. We're spiritual beings. And the spirit of the living God is inside each believer right now. And he can give us the strength to obey him and to honor him and to not give in to every temptation. He can help us 
um, produce fruit in us that the world desperately needs. When you read that list, love, joy, peace, patience, isn't that what the world needs more of? Isn't that what Facebook needs more of? Isn't that what social media needs more of? And we can bring these things into our world if we walk in trusting Christ. And we're going to stand out. We're going to live differently, and we're going to stand out. We're going to be going against the grain. But there's a beauty because we get to be the lights of the world. We get to be the salt of the earth. And so here's my admonition to you. Let's be diligent to renew our minds and to remind one another of the true purpose of why we are created and to cling to the Lord to give us strength to live for him. And as we do this, we won't be influenced by our culture, but we will bring God into a culture that desperately needs him. And we can bring that culture back to God. And so I want you to think about these questions, and I really want you to really ponder them. What are you going to live for? Eternity or the temporary? What are you going to, who are you going to follow? The culture or the creator? Who are you going to listen to, the world or the word? Will you be influenced by the world or, you, or will you influence the world? We can be deceived into thinking that what the world loves is better than what God loves, but this eternal God through Jesus demonstrates his love is infinitely better than the love the world has to offer. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that you have given us everything we need to know you, to obey you, to live for you and your glory. And God, I pray as we fight in the struggle against sin, God, would we walk not in our own power, in our own strength, in our own identity, but Father, would we walk in your power and your strength. And God, I pray that you would help us know you more so that we want to love you more. Lord, as we love you, we obey you. As we obey you, we love you. So renew our minds. Help us be wise to the places we're being deceived, the areas where we are following the world and not you. And God, I pray, pray that you would replace our affection that we find in the world with a greater affection for you. And God, only you can do that. So we pray that you would do all these things in Christ's name. Amen.